prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, an hour with Tom Hanks. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yeah, this is one of those shows that doesn't need much preamble. It kind of sells itself. You're either in or you're out. And if you're out, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, I present to you today, guys, a feast for the ears. A, um, a true treasure trove of Hollywood stories, of creativity and passion. Um, Tom Hanks is the guest on Happy, Sad, Confused today. He has been, and I'm sure I'm echoing something that any number of you, all of you perhaps could say, he's been a huge part of my life the last 35 years, as much as anyone can be um, who's not you know, a family member. He has contributed so, so much to my love of film. Um, truly dozens of remarkable uh, performances, films that are part of the fabric of movie history. And it's not hyperbole. Yeah, sometimes I can get a little carried away. This is Tom Hanks. There's no getting carried away with the two-time Oscar winner, um, Tom Hanks, uh, winner for uh, his roles in Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, and frankly, probably could have won two or three other times at least, if you really look, dig into the filmography. Um, this was uh, everything I had hoped it would be. It's an hour-long plus chat with Tom Hanks. Um, he came to play with stories, with a great attitude, um, and in full-on Tom Hanks. Some people were asking me after, the people I told that I was going to talk to him, they asked me after the fact, how was he? I said, Tom Hanks is really good at being Tom Hanks. Uh, I don't know if it's a performance. I don't think it is. I think he's just 100,000% Tom Hanks <laughs> at all times, um, which isn't to say he's bright and sunny at all times. Uh, I'm sure he's not, but he has that spirit that is so familiar to us, that shines through um, in so many interviews and so many performances. Um, this was just like I had a grin on my face the entire time. And you can watch that grin if you so choose. If you want to watch this conversation, I, and I highly recommend it, uh, check out uh, our new YouTube channel, youtube.com uh, slash Josh Horowitz, J-O-S-H-H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z, youtube.com slash Josh Horowitz, and you can watch this entire chat right now. Uh, if you had been, and perhaps you are, a Patreon member, you could have seen this already. We give you early access to everything on the Patreon. So that's patreon.com slash happysadconfused for all, all the early goodies, for all the discount codes, for all the extra special treats, the bits and the bobs, go over to Patreon. Uh, all that info is in the show notes. But anyway, back to Mr. Hanks. Um, and I won't go on too long because, as I said, this is an hour-long conversation. This is a lengthy one, and you're going to want to hear every little bit and morsel. Um, Tom came on uh, to support his latest collaboration with Robert Zemeckis, who, of course, has been a huge part of his career. Um, dating back to Forrest Gump, he has collaborated with him on the new rendition of Pinocchio, debuting on Disney Plus this Friday. Check it out. Anytime Mr. Zemeckis um, you know, contributes a new work, I am there. Anytime Tom Hanks contributes a new work, I am there, let alone when they collaborate. It's gold. So check out Pinocchio this Friday. Um, as well as Elvis, if you haven't caught up on Elvis, which I believe is now available um, on demand uh, in your homes. It's, it's had an amazing run in theaters, I would expect. 
a bit of an awards run too. It's been a, a really pleasant surprise. Maybe not surprise, but I think it was a hopeful, um, a hopeful uh, gambit for Warner Brothers and Baz Luhrmann, and certainly a star-making performance for Austin and, of course, uh, Tom as Colonel Tom Parker. So we get into a little bit of Elvis, a lot about Pinocchio, but really mostly, guys, this is just an exploration of Tom's career, of the movies he's been passionate about, about his love of Stanley Kubrick, about the roles that he's been rumored for that perhaps he was or wasn't up for. We geek out about Star Trek and Star Wars. Um, as I said, this was a big, big one. I was so excited going in, and man... Tom Hanks did not disappoint. He's not going to disappoint you either. Um, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Please enjoy this conversation with Tom Hanks. Here he is. Here we go. Very appropriate to Pinocchio. I have like, it, this is like having like Abraham Lincoln and the Hall of Presidents come to life. This is like having Mount Rushmore start talking to me. Wow. It's Tom Hanks. On my wow. little podcast. Don't you don't you mean what either Chip and Chip or Dale, you know, and the guys inside the costumes there? You're both of them combined. Around? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, you got me. There you have it. What do you need to know? <laughs> there you know, are... great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Let me let me blow yeah. by some of my Walt well, now as 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 you know, I'm authority. I mean, well, I can speak with authority. I'm not an authority, but I can speak with authority. You played the man. Like all things Disney because I played Walt Disney and, yes. and I learned an awful lot. And great moments with Mr. Lincoln, which was put together for the 1964 Flushing Meadows World's Fair. Uh, lit a bonfire. I mean, everybody loved it. Along with Hey, 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 the GE Carousel of Progress. And at the last minute, literally at the last minute, um, it's a small world. In which the uh, the 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 uh, I'm going to say Richard Brothers. Um, I mean, quick staff. Do I have the right the, the, name? The Sherman Brothers. The, the Sherman, Sherman Brothers. Yes, Richard yeah. Sherman and yes. his brother. Um, they were essentially told, like on a minute's notice, that they were going to be writing the theme to a new attraction, sponsored by the Bank of America, by the way, called "It's a Small World." And as they were walking from the announcement, um, uh, in which Disney sort of like impromptu said, and there will be a third uh, uh, attraction at the World's Fair. And it's going to be called It's a Small World. And it'll be brought to you by my friends at Bank of America. And the Sherman brothers looked at each other and said, it, it, we are, we're writing that song. And as they were walking from the meeting, they said, how are we going to write this song? I mean, what, what, what do we say? Oh, it's a small world. They said, well, you know, it is a small world after all. And there you go. And let's sing one, two, three, Whitney, Sarah, it's we don't have the mind. rights, Tom. We can't. We're gonna get sued. That is a problem. That's right. <laughs> we can do that two is notes. This is now the if, gift. if you look at if you go on, uh, I'm just give me a couple more Disney minutes here. Yeah, please, please, please. Because yeah. I've this is I got they've oceans. done a lot for you, you've done a lot for them. You might as well. If if you take if you if you parse out your voyage on um is a small world, you might notice that it has a slightly let me, how do I mean, it's since become sacrosanct. It's gorgeous. It's classic. Everybody loves it, but it has a cobble together feel to it. I mean, you can see the cables wow. on the ground and uh, not the most lifelike of characters. And some of them really only do one thing, you know, their head spins around or their eyebrows go up and down right. or something like that. And uh, here's one little tidbit is the uh, flotation devices, the trough and the boats that sail, that slowly go through. Um, it's a small world, same technology as it's Pirates of the Caribbean. You're in a boat that goes, you know, flows with water, have had to take into account the growing weight gain of your average American. So they're not as, I guess they, they have more flotation on them than you do, because quite frankly, people eat a lot of food more. 
So there you go. This sums up the state of the world. Check it out next time you're there. This is the gift and the curse of talking to Tom Hanks is I can name any subject and you can pontificate beautifully for 10, 15, I can just let you go. I am I am a miserable dinner party guest. I don't I, believe it. I literally, I punctuate all these stories with, am I talking too much? Should somebody <laughs> else interrupt me here? What else would you like to know? I'm going to be your gentle guide on this journey right, the next hour. Right, well, I'll, and, but, I'll walk you through the whole process. So look, there are 10,000 different conversations to be had with Tom Hanks. I'm trying, I was trying to figure <laughs> out like what to do, where to go. And I figured, look, as a big old nerd, since you are talking a little bit about Pinocchio, your, your collaboration oh, yeah. with Zemeckis. Oh, I can tell you stuff about Pinocchio. It's fascinating. What I want to talk about is about your filmmaker collaborations, because you've worked oh, with sure. the best of them. And let, let's let's start with I've Mr. Zemeckis. Okay. It's been a minute since you guys have collaborated. It actually shocked me how long it's been. Talk to me about, because here's what I think of when I think of Robert Zemeckis. I certainly think of the technical know-how, and he gets a lot of justifiable yeah. praise for that. But then when I really dig into his films, I do honestly think about emotion. And I think about how he can mm. wreck me in Castaway at the end of Back to the Future at Forrest yeah. Gump. What is the secret sauce over the years that you've noticed that that Bob Zemeckis delivers? What's a quintessential? Well, he's Bob he's Zemeckis? a man he's a man possessed uh, with a desire to do to do something that nobody else has done. Sometimes that's technical, but oftentimes it's thematic. You know, what are we really examining here? Um, and uh, it is constantly challenging. Let me tell you a story about Bob. Bob was, uh, he grew up in the south side of Chicago in the most average of lower middle class row houses there is. Actually at a time where you could actually go hunting out the backyard in south Chicago. So that's a long time ago. The south side. Um, and um, he, was, he was doing things like he had a... <laughs> He had a job, evidently, I think, making instructional films for the Evan Rood Outboard Motor Company, uh, uh, the little outboard motors, you know, for boats. And he went in there uh, and he took some of the equipment, you know, some of the uh, uh, cameras and uh, movieolas and whatnot. And he ended up making like videos to Beatles songs right. with films. And uh, so he was always playing around with making movies. And he was sitting in his he was sitting in his basement rec room one day watching the Johnny Carson show in the 60s um, with uh, and the guest was Jerry Lewis, believe it or not. And Johnny asked, you know, hey, Jerry, what are you up to now? And he says, well, I'm uh, I, I'm teaching a, a, she, what he said. He's teaching a seminar on filmmaking at the USC Film School. Uh, and Bob said, I was in there alone and I heard J Jerry Lewis say he was teaching a seminar at the USC film school. And I stood up and I yelled at the top of my lungs. There's such a thing as a film school. And from then he was possessed. And the story of how he got into USC is actually quite legendary. And how he stayed at USC was really quite legendary because uh, a long story. I'll leave Bob to tell you that. And this translates to a moment, uh, the first time we worked together, which was on Forrest Gump, and we were shooting the scenes, uh, we actually was very shooting a specific scene where uh, Forrest was playing ping pong, and a guy comes in to say, to, in, the, in, the, in the hospital, in the, veteran, in the wounded, uh, wounded hospital in, in Saigon, and uh, some guy comes in in a uniform, this is a, a private Gump, and I said, yes, sir, and he said, you have just been awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. And uh, I said something like, oh, and Bob uh, it was the last shot of the night. Uh, and we were trying to, Bob was like, look, how do we do this? How do we do this? 
And I said, well, Bob, how about if I'm here playing ping pong? And the guy comes in and asks me the question and I stop playing ping pong. And uh, that's how we do the scene. And he looked at me like I was insane. He was angry at me, his fist balled up and the, the veins on it, so the tendon in his neck, you know, clenched. And he said, well, hell, anybody can do that. And from that, if you look at, go back and look at the movie now, we added a special effect in which there's a little tape square. The ping pong table is up, uh, is flipped up and, and Forrest is just hitting rockets back and forth. Digga, 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 digga. And we had to come up with a way in order for me to set the ping pong paddle down with the ball on it, under it and stand at attention. And the, the ball was optical. It was a CGI ball. But so I had to palm a, a, a ping pong ball in my unused fist and when it came around do it. And that's the way Bob approaches, not just a, a technical version of a shot, but literally every moment of the dialogue. Right. Working with Bob, you sit with everybody in the movie for about two weeks and you discuss the movie. And it doesn't matter if you're in the scene or not, if you have an opinion of what works and what doesn't, because Bob just says, well, what do you think about that? What, 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 do, you th what do you think about what we're doing there? And everybody gets to put uh, input something and you end up getting something from the other people that are in the, in the film. Is that me? Sorry. I got to turn off my, uh, my, uh, my ongoing government notifications. <laughs> oh, look at that. Oh man. Anything we seems, know? seems to wait. I got I'm going to have to take this because it seems a prince in Nairobi needs some help. <laughs> Uh, here, I turned that off. Um, and that's the way Bob works. And yeah. we have done that over and over and over again. I guess what? This is our, uh, let me think. What movie? Let's, let's see. I've got it here. This is uh, this is your fourth go round. Okay. This is our fourth go round. And every yeah. time we've done it, and I'm actually, I'm, I'll be starting a fifth that we don't have yeah. to talk about now in the, in the, in the, after the first of the year. And they are all, they have all been these deep throws of not just, you know, how do we make this movie, but also what is the story we're telling? What is the theme we're examining and why why are we bothering with all of this now you would think then then what's the point of doing as commercial uh, enterprise uh, tentpole classic as pinocchio and uh, i said bob said you really want to do i said bob i, I want to be a part of what you are going to do with when you wish upon a star this right. is this is <laughs> this you is marry be... one iconic thing with another well, iconic yeah thing they... <laughs> let let's go to it and no. um and i have i have spent uh let's see bob and i first worked together what the hell year was that 1993 was a, 94 was when, when it came, came out, out. So, so we made it yep. we shot it in 93 and i he and i have got together about every six weeks or so and what do you got? What are you doing? What, what are you coming up with? And that's a, that's a lot of six week intervals in the last like 15 years between. Well, <laughs> I'm okay. I have, I have, I usurped reality here with six weeks. Sometimes okay, it's six months, you, you but do the um, yeah. we, we, we roll back into each other and we sit and we have lunch and we talk about everything under the sun, life, kids, you know, everything, but we always come around and the, you know, the, the more hilarious aspect of the biz, you know, uh, where it is. Cause I, I can tell you about how me and Bob sat down with the, with a bunch of mucky mucks at, uh, at, uh, at, I think it was before Sony, uh, whoever we made some movie for, I can't remember. <laughs> and uh, we were saying, we were trying to convince them to, to release the DVD of the movie day and date with it. Uh, open. Anyway. So we're always playing around with that, but we also come around to, um, what is going on or what has gone on that deserves the attention and the work and the, 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 the effort of make, having a movie made about it? Right. 
And when this one came around, I just said, Bob, what are you doing? And he said, ah, looks like I'm going to do a Pinocchio. And I just said, you got a Geppetto? And he said, you'd want to do Geppetto? And I said, and I said, Bob, two, you know, however long it would take for me to do Geppetto with you would be, it would be like being able to, to being traded to the 1927 New York Yankees uh, and, and helping them make a pennant run, you know, uh, and, you know, bat me right after Lou Gehrig or, you know, something like that. Because uh, the, the, the full, full frontal effort that he puts into the tiniest moment, even on, you know, between a digital cat and a digital puppet and whatever I'm bringing to it, um, ends up being just this, uh, th this magnificent workout. And in, in the, in the guise of revisiting one of the, the other thing I know about it is Pinocchio was a wickedly important mo motion picture in the whole Disney oeuvre, because it was the first feature film that used the multiplane, uh, cell camera. So suddenly, um, deep pans, uh, deep focus became possible on a Walt Disney feature film. Prior to that, the only movie that had done it had been a short called The Old Mill, uh, um, which is a, a cartoon with no dialogue, just sound and music. <clears throat> and so I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a big ass part of that. And knowing that Pinocchio, uh, excuse me, Geppetto it appears throughout. Um, if 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 this was the story of Jean Valjean and Pinocchio is Jean Valjean, I get to play Javert. I get to constantly be, you know, be be after him throughout. So there was just going to be some combination of a revisit to something that, you know, was going to have to be updated to some degree uh, because there's just a bunch of stuff in Pinocchio. You can't do no more. You can't do you can't do societally as well as whatever Bob was going to do. You know, with Monstro and uh, and uh, Jiminy Cricket, who is Joseph Gordon-Levitt and everybody else that's that's in the cast. So, yeah, when when uh, the, the great thing about working with people more than once is you get right to it. There's no small talk. There's no getting to know you. Everybody knows how each other's works. And so it's a very low maintenance kind of thing. And all you really do is, you know, mix it up as opposed to, well, why are we doing it that way? Right. Which SBS is a question. Right to it. Yep. And Bob asks that question of me, you know, I said, what do you want to do here? And I said, well, I was thinking of doing that. Well, why, 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 why do it that way? Why, why don't you just do it? I said, oh, so great. You mean you and then we go back and forth on that. Well, why are you doing it that way? And with no ego involved and, and uh, um, uh, you know, and by the way, I've, you know, I've, 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 I've pulled a number of uh, boners a couple of times. I, I can tell you the time Bob, you know, knocked on my trailer door and, um, you know, first thing in the morning he came in. I need a, hey, can I have a word with you? I said, okay, what didn't work? Well, everything you did yesterday did not work. So <laughs> everything you did yesterday, uh, let's not do again today. Very good, sir. <laughs> All right, sir. Let me see what else I can come up with. And how about this and this? So it ends up being a, uh, you know, I, I have a, a number of filmmakers. I mean, like uh, I, I, I'm sad. I really only got to do three things with Nora, two sure. films and, um, and the play of uh, the, and the play yeah. uh, and uh, the, the luxury of being able to go back and work with somebody else because you take you, you reach the level of what you did. And then you have to surpass that, you know, uh, you, it's like the next year of university, you know, you, you're no longer doing that subject 101. You're now in, in graduate know. studies. Yeah. With yeah. Nora. Every, yeah, every yeah. movie yeah. afterwards becomes graduate studies. You mentioned Nora Ephron. That was exactly where I wanted to go next as a born and bred New Yorker and Upper West Sider. Her films yeah. are so, so important to me. Um, this is my first controversial question of the podcast. What's a better film 
Sleepless in Seattle or You've Got Mail? Can you well, choose which of your children you love more? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I'm going to call them twins, and uh, one is not the evil version of the other. One doesn't have a goatee and wear sunglasses. Uh, they're both. Uh, the thing about both of the, uh, the, okay, nor, okay, if you go back and look at uh, Sleepless in Seattle, do you know that there's a reference to Jerry Seinfeld's soup Nazi in it? I don't remember that. There remember. is. Oh, there's yeah. a conversation between Rosie um, O'Donnell and, uh, and uh, uh, Meg, and which is, do you know there's a guy in New York who sells nothing but soup? Right, right. That was that was the soup Nazi. Um, and Nora always paid, you know, Nora has her finger on the pulse of uh, what she she always has. This, she always says, and I, I never turned down a front row seat for human folly, uh, which is why she was one of the early com, uh, contributors to the Huff, Huffington Post. Um, so she pays attention to everything. And this the 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 conceit behind mo both films have an, an awful lot to do with mass media this personal contact that comes by way of mass media that we now all feel because there is that ongoing difference between having 50,000 followers on your, on, your, on your Instagram account, which can make some people feel fantastic. And other people have 15 million versions of them, you know, followers as well. Uh, when we did uh, Sleepless in Seattle, uh, we read it. I, I read it instantly. And I said, oh, oh, well, we yeah, let's yeah, let's do this. I think it's great. And Nora said, yes, I think it's great, too. We have to hurry up and get the movie done before there's something surpasses email. Oh, for you. And again, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you've got mail. Sorry, yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got mail. And he was she was actually right. I mean, the idea of having to log on to AOL now is this quaint, you know, kind it's of like funny, memory. though, that specificity doesn't bother me. It's somehow it, it, it you would think that that would not let lend itself to having a longevity, a long life. But somehow it works. Well, it comes down to it's all an examination of human behavior and that yeah. need to need to connect and and the you know the the uh, what do you, what do you call it the the uh, the realities that people project upon people they just heard once on the radio, or you know got an got an email from right. Uh, and so the answer between uh, your question is uh, go sh get out get out. I'm not going <laughs> to answer that stupid question, Josh Horowitz. Go out and wander wander around Midtown Manhattan and you know go 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 get a cup of soup. I have to give the, the edge to any film with a rooftop killer subplot that is never realized. I've always wondered, what, like, what, who, <laughs> was Steve Zahn the rooftop killer? I have my own theories. <laughs> Good question. My, <laughs> my next question is about uh, big swings in terms of performances, because as, as much as people yeah. talk about you as kind of the everyman, and certainly you've done that in, in many a film and kind of been our avatar at, some, at times, I often think about the big swings. And there, you only have to look most recently at, at Elvis, for instance, which is a big swing. When have you ever, when, when have you felt most out on the limb? When you felt like this could really... I'm, I'm on the, the knife's edge. This well, really you're, you're, okay. I, I, this is this is an interesting question because everybody just assumes that a bunch of movies just show up and learn the lines and hit the marks, you know. Don't. And I'm going to tell you, every one of these movies drives me to distraction and fills me with self-loathing at three o'clock in the morning. You get up in the movie, say, "How in the world can I be authentic in this moment?" Because you know all those movies that you're cheerful and charming and witty and your hair looks great. You know what happens? Uh, uh, while you're doing that, your life is falling apart. You got right. a lawsuit going on. You found out, you know, you found out you have type two diabetes. You have to literally go in and be completely contrary to the way real life actually is. Your kids are miserable. They all hate you. Uh, somebody got lost. Your dog. You know, there's so many things that that are going wrong, and you what you have to do is still go in and somehow 
do what Shakespeare said and hold the mirror up to up to human nature. The the bigger swings are uh, are are delicious meals, to tell you the truth. Um, they because there's you end up you end up being you go down this path that is so complex and every time you add something onto it you actually are taking something outside of yourself and putting it onto yourself as opposed to the other films where you have to dig down deep inside and be true to yourself now which one is the easier gig right scary you know uh, you know I, it's <laughs> it's kind of like talking to a stand-up comedian who has 40 minutes of brilliant material and you say my god yeah that was hilarious you look like you're having fun up there fun fun i took nine years to come up with this thing i am i am tortured out yeah. there on stage. three divorces i lost yeah. whatever yeah exactly yeah. For, your, yeah. for your benefit exactly <laughs> and i'm glad that you enjoyed my 40 minute set um it 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 ends up being a uh making movies is is uh holding reality at bay for as long as you can and sometimes the most you can do is hold reality at bay for the two and a half minutes that a scene takes yeah. And the rest of it is just like one just damn thing after another. But you take like, OK, you're going to look at Elvis. There's only one way to do uh, Colonel Tom Parker, and that is to start with Colonel Tom Parker. Right. I had never seen Colonel Tom Parker. I'd never heard his voice. When Baz Luhrmann came to me and he said, Elvis, I said, OK, first of all, why are you why are you here? Elvis in my office? This doesn't make sense. And he says, well, you know, there would never. Uh, the, without an without there certainly would have never been a Elvis without a Colonel Tom Parker, but there never would have been a Colonel Tom Parker without Elvis. And so, boom, there is something right there that is fascinating. But then I saw what he looked like, and I heard what he sounded like, and again I said, "Baz, are you, are you in the right place?" And he <laughs> says, "Nope. This is this is this is the layering that I want you to take a stab at." And so you just begin. And I'm, none of this is easy. <laughs> All of it is some degree of torturous fun. But uh, all you can do is uh, put the backpack on and step out onto the trail and you see the mountains in the distance and hopefully you have enough water and protein bars and blankets so you can make it through the nights and get on with it. The, um, the, the thing that, that you must also understand, you, you, Josh, you and your listeners, is that all of these are part of a grand alliance with an awful lot of collaborators. Nobody takes a big swing all by themselves. Right. There is, I can, I can tell you about Sean and Jason and Brittany, who I spent uh, 45 hours a week with, you know, as they were layering on all of the, all of who the Colonel was. Uh, and, uh, and so literally I could close my eyes and open open them every 45 minutes <clears throat> and get, a, and see a little bit more of the, of the Colonel that day. Yeah. And then there's also the people that you interact with. There's not a lot of difference between having to hit the marks and tell the truth under uh, as much of the, uh, the visuals that go along with Colonel Tom Parker than there is with uh, <clears throat> uh, being, you know, uh, any of the other guys I've played. You, you, you're somehow you are creatively naked, no matter how much stuff you have onto. And you have to get down into a thing that people, everybody will recognize as, ah, that's human behavior, as I understand it. I love talking also to my favorite artists about the films that that form them, and I've heard a lot of interviews with you over the years. And I and one film has often come come back around a film that you've seen many times on the big screen, and I've seen it at every opportunity too. 
you never worked with Stanley Kubrick, but you, uh, but you, but you loved 2001. I know. And you love it to this day. Did you ever meet Stanley Kubrick? Did no, you ever get- <clears throat> no, that was, that was beyond my comprehension at the time. Uh, the, I, and I, 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 I probably would have passed out, you know, if I, we, if I had been, you know, we never left England, but if right. I was, if I was, you know, in some restaurant in England and Stanley Kubrick was walking in when I was walking out, I would have fallen down and blocked the revolving door. I would just would have, they'd have to revive me, you know, um, not, uh, that movie, um, you know, it, it, I, it, if I was a 13 year old kid and saw some, you know, uh, architectural masterpiece, name, name, name an architectural masterpiece in the world, you know, the Sistine Chapel. Okay. The Sistine Chapel or the Taj Mahal or, right you know, the great pagoda in, in uh, Cambodia or something like that. And you end up being transfixed and altered forever because of it. Or if you read, you know, the greatest book on the planet earth, you know, you, you read the, you know, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance when you're 12 years old or something, and it just alters your, your consciousness. That's what 2001 space Odyssey did for me. Um, because it was not, um, uh, it was not told in standard, um, not told with a narrative right you you had to glean what these people were talking about you know there were nothing was explained to you it was just shown to you and that's really screwed me up uh, because i beat the living daylights out of everybody in the course of some movie one after another i was like why are we why are we talking about it why don't we just show it why do we have to explain what we're doing let's just show it and, uh, you know, that doesn't fly with an awful lot of people. And, and it doesn't work for an awful lot of stories. I've since gone back uh, and watched um, uh, Barry Lyndon. I just saw it like um, six weeks ago. Yeah. And I had never seen it in its entirety. And to watch it and know, you know, know of Mr. Kubrick's work as I do now, I think it is, it was at the time it came out, they just weren't going to give it to him. They were not going to give him credit. And they hated the fact that he cast Ryan O'Neill in it. And it was slow. And does candlelight really look like that? You know, all this kind of stuff. Oh, he's having so much fun with those new Zeiss lenses. He forgot to make a movie. They're insane. It is a masterpiece because he shows it and then he tells you what was going on in the course of it. So his um, talk about a guy who, you know, swings, you know, big swings and throws deep. You cannot look at a Stanley Kubrick movie and see it as uh, some brand of equal as Fellini or Pasolini or, you know, uh, uh, Goddard or or any of the, the, uh, the, he, it is a singular approach to cinematic art in which he, can you imagine if 2001 A Space Odyssey had gone through research screenings, you know, <laughs> Stanley Kubrick, they're saying, how are the cards? What are the numbers? What are the, what are the high recommends? Every one of those, every one of those movies would have been thrown out of the theater. Cut the prologue, talk, talk narration. Yeah. Can you add a narration? Yeah. Can we understand what's going on? Can Hal narrate this entire thing? Uh, it would have been have like a change that. of heart. Yeah. Can he turn and I'm not, good? you know, and I think there's a, there's still a grand number of artists, the filmmakers that do the same thing um i would challenge anybody to look at a movie that came out of i think it came out of greenland or iceland last year called lamb oh i saw lamb knew we were okay. Yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah. all right yeah. <laughs> what did that movie do to you you know that and that and that goes part and parcel with everything else that that you know comes down the pike i happen to know from a number of people uh 
Steven Spielberg, for example, and a few other folks that, that knew Stanley Kubrick, who said, you know, he watched everything. He saw yeah. everything. He watched TV in order to see what was going on. He looked at stuff that would be going on on, on, uh, on commercials. So his faith in an unspoken narrative, a purely cinematic narrative, is, is off the scale. And to see that when I'm 13 years old, 12 or 13 years old, and then to go right back the next Saturday and see it again, and periodically just put it on in a good, like I, every now and again, it shows up on a 4k projection right. uh, nearby. And I saw the big one that they put up on, um, uh, on essentially IMAX screens. I saw that in, in Pittsburgh a couple of years ago when I was doing the Mr. Rogers movie. They, sh they, and, they showed it in 70 millimeter here like five years ago at the Village well, East. Yeah. And I left the theater and the usher said, oh, Spielberg was just in the previous show. Yeah, That's what I love go. about it. They, you have to like pay your respects. You have to revisit. And and, and, just... and, and 70 <laughs> is the way to see it because yeah. of the grain. The digital projection of it is quite frankly too clear. You can see all the logos. You can see all the seams. You can see everything. The diffusion and the grain of the 70 millimeter really just makes it soft and makes it look, I think, 10 times more. Uh, fantastically uh around the, the the i will say the biggest thing that really screwed me up about that movie is it paid attention to physics right you know they were they were in zero gravity and so that stewardess that walks upside down and the odd kind of like way they're walking around with their grip shoes and of course the the major you know the wheel the centrifugal drum of the command module of the voyager discovery i remember reading uh, reading reviews of the movie in which the critics said we're talking about magic, uh, excuse me, magnetic boots on the actors. In a, and I, it's like, really? I remember, there was, I remember a, a teacher in my junior high school said, well, I, they, they, they probably have zero gravity chambers at NASA. And I, I actually remember thinking, oh, right. They have a room with a big switch on it. This is gravity on, gravity off. And yes. they just switch it down to off and everything floats around. So the, the idea that a filmmaker would make a movie about, you know, an alien, you know, contact with Earth and people flying to the moon and whatnot and insist on the reality of zero gravity and, and paying attention to the true soundless physics of the void and stuff like that. Um, screwed me up, man, because yeah. I had to then look at like Star Trek, which was great as nothing more than, you know, a TV series about being in the Navy, right. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> somehow they were able to walk around on Starship Enterprise and eat food and drink, you know, take elevators. and Miraculously, floor. every single planet had, zero, had the right gravity. It was perfect. Yeah, and oddly <laughs> enough, and they all spoke English, too. I thought that was pretty great. I want to run through some famous and maybe not so famous mm, um, what ifs about. Your okay. Career. All right. Okay. Confirm or deny these. And we can run through, through these pretty quickly if you want. Spielberg, who of course you eventually worked with, he first wanted you to play Peter Pan in Hook. True or false? Do you remember? No, that? that's, no, that's false. No. Okay. We of course know that you were going to work for many years on Dino with Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is one of those films that will always live in my brain, at least. <laughs> um, it sounds like he also explored having you play Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York. News to me. Okay. Oh, this is good. This is valuable. I would have jumped on that. You mentioned Star Trek. Star Trek and Star Wars have come up. Star Trek First Contact, did they ever approach you about playing James Cromwell's role, Zephram Cochran? Not, not to my knowledge. Didn't get through the, the Hanks team. The guy who invented warp, warp drive? Oh, you, come on. I would have jumped on that. You got the bona fides. I would have been, you know, talk about nerd town. I mean, I just would have, I would have, 
I would have, I would, you know, I would, I would, I would have come in. I would have brought in gift tribbles to everybody on the first meeting. Guys, here's some tribbles for you. Remember the trouble with tribbles? I would have done that. You're speaking uh, my language. Was, yeah. I had an old pal. I had an old pal in junior high. Uh, and that was at the time when on Channel 2 in Oakland, every night at six o'clock, they ran uh, a cut up version of uh, Star Trek, the original Captain Kirk, you know, uh, William Shatner, who is a genius, by the way. I, I've since done some stuff with William Shatner, the man. Genius. I can't pushing can 90 going. Yeah, into space, yeah, yeah, still, yeah. A man who it. man who has a devouring uh, appetite for art and performing anyway. Um, it was on every night at six and um, we would <laughs> we would have a competition sometimes to see who could call the other guy first with the title of the episode, you know, <laughs> uh, and you would base it not sometimes on the star date, but mostly was about you, you. You'd need a nanosecond to know what episode it was. And if you didn't know the title, you still took a shot at it. That's a fun game. Uh, oh, yeah. Let that be your last battlefield. Balance of terror. <laughs> oh, yeah. Balance of terror. That's, That's right. That's yeah. a good one. Uh, uh, um, I mud. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you, uh, Ron Howard has said that you were almost a stormtrooper in Solo. I would have done that. Yeah, I couldn't make that work. Okay, I couldn't get. I couldn't get there in time. You know, I think. I think now, if you like, do a survey, all kinds of famous people have been in a stormtrooper outfit. Oh, I, yeah, think I think Dennis. I think Danny Craig was yep. in one. Yep. You know, I think I know uh, uh, movie executives have shown up to be a stormtrooper. <laughs> you know, I'd do it. Uh, that was that was one thing about um, uh, Star Wars, uh, you know, within the first 45 seconds of it, as soon as you saw a star, a stormtrooper, never mind Darth Vader. But as soon as you saw those guys run around those stormtrooper outfits, you, you were in the hands of some, something that had been really well thought out, despite the fact of the lack of gravity uh, <laughs> uh, on all those uh, on all those uh, ships. There's a great new doc on on Disney Plus actually about the birth of ILM and just that that whole. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. directed by the great Lawrence Kasdan. Um, I remember, I remember we did some ILM shots for Joe versus the volcano, and yeah. I, we had to go up to uh, Marin County for it. I said, "Oh my God, we're going to ILM. This is going to be fantastic." Yeah. <laughs> it was just a, it was just a, a lot of guys at, at, at computers basically yeah, no it wasn't even that it was just you know a garage door you know in one of those industrial parks somewhere it was like this is ilm oh man i was expecting you know gates and guards you know like old paramount studios or something nobody moving the ark of the covenant back and forth nothing like benefit. that at all just a bunch of guys in black t-shirts Speaking of sci-fi, Doctor Who, it's said that Peter Capaldi tried to enlist you through the advances of the producers to actually play Doctor Who at one point. That would have been a blast. Uh, that's all That's all scheduling, I guess. You know, can't, okay. can't, can't do every job. And on, honestly, me as Doctor Who, can you imagine? Can you imagine the, the outrage? I'm, I'm an American, and American. I'm going to go over and I'm going to jump in that, you know, red telephone box and, you know, and either wear a scarf and whatever it is. I don't think Anthony Quinn could play Zorba the Greek in today's no. uh, popular judgment, you know, but why? And do you know why, Josh? Because he's not Greek. So imagine the uh, imagine the cry if I had played world famous 
I would have played one of the Daleks, maybe. I would have been inside those big salt and pepper shakers talking in that automated voice with an English accent, by the of course, way. Of I, I could not get into, um, I, in San Francisco, in the Bay Area where I grew up, Oakland, uh, they threw on some old Doctor Who's, the guy with the big uh, red, uh, yes. sc- you know, that guy. Yep. And um, the because it was on video out of the BBC, the video signal on American TVs looked odd. Um, because they have a hundred extra lines of scansion on their TVs over right. there. So our, our, the way it scanned for us, it just didn't look like video. Yeah. Uh, it looked like this, some other thing. And I just couldn't get past, you know, all these robots with robotic English accents. That's right. Doctor who, you know, it's like, it, I don't know what's going on in here. So I've never been a doctor who aficionado. I've just been aware of doctor who's grand, uh, grand history. Do you remember your last audition? And did you know it at the time? Mm, that's a good question. Wow. Um, I. It must have been late eighties, early nineties. I got. Well, I auditioned like- for I auditioned for Splash. Um, uh, that was, and I think that the only reason they had auditions for Splash is because everybody, uh, everybody who was big at the time turned it down. You know, if you will go back and who who were the top ten? You know box office actors of the time they all said no right they all said no way am i going to make a mermaid movie you know for the company that released gus the field goal kicking mule for walt disney pictures directed by opie cunningham it just just was not going to happen uh so i i remember uh, i think you can see the audition uh the actually the video auditions because ron was playing you know remember they had those huge um uh you know home video cameras or and JVC had one with a miniature um, uh, um, VHS cassette that you put into an adapter and then you could play it on your home. V- That's what he was doing. You know, each one lasts about 20 minutes. And uh, I think that might have been that might be the last thing I auditioned for, because then this terrible thing happened. It's, they kept asking me to be in movies. And I said yes to every single one of them because they <laughs> asked me they asked me to be in a movie, you know. You go, you go from a period where all you're, all you're just waiting for the phone to ring. And so someone can say, hey, would you like to come in and maybe get a chance? You go from that to the phone rings and said, would you like to be in a movie? And you just, would, would I? Well, yes. you, bring up, you bring up the fascinating shift that I, a conversation I've had with many folks in your, in your privileged position of the opportunity to say no, which for 99% uh, of actors yes. doesn't come. And yeah. it's, it must be such a strange shift where, as you say, you're just working, you're just going. It's, it's the, I think it is the Rubicon, blessed Rubicon, um, that um, I've, I've had the opportunity to have to cross. I don't know. Uh, I think, I think the first time I came to loggerheads with some member of my crack representation team was the season in between the two of Bosom Buddies. Uh, in which, because I worked for ABC, the in, the inevitable uh, opportunity came down to do Fantasy Island, and I said um, I could use the money because <laughs> I, I didn't get paid much for Bosom Buddies, and you know, twenty five percent of it was gone in commissions, and another fifty was gone in taxes. So um, <clears throat> I was in a rented house, and you know, I. Uh, uh, I, Colin was, uh, you know, it was in my child rearing years and um, the idea of doing a week on 
Fantasy Island just demoralized me so much <laughs> that I just said, you know, I think I'm going to say no to Fantasy Island. And I had a, I had a, a representation that says, well, you think you're making a big mistake. And I, I just said, you know, no, no good is going right. to What's come the to it. What's the What's best the, possible? And, and yeah, exactly. I said, I don't know what I'm going to get from doing fantasy. Island. He said, well, and he said, well, how about if you're just the best thing that's ever been on fantasy? Island? Maybe how the love that? boat, maybe that. And, maybe. Well, I had done the love boat. Okay. I did the love boat, you know, in between the pilot and the first episode of Pussy Buddies, which Got was it. hilarious. And I just, look, if, if you want to have, if you just want to fall on the floor, laughing uproariously take just take a look at my love boat you know it's a shot it in you know, i think june of ni- 1980 or something like that and it's it's just i, I had no idea how movies were made right. you know, my, my teeth were the color of moss <laughs> my skin was bad because <laughs> they hadn't given you the full eat. once over yet they oh, hadn't washed you down terrible but um <laughs> a, a wondrous adventure you know even the movies that, that you, you talk about even the movies that don't work or even the movies that you just think like was did i even know what i was doing you you learn something very prescient and important on every single one of them because here's the weird thing that happens um you have no idea if it's going to work or not right you can be certain that it's a disaster and it works fine. You can be certain that it's the greatest thing that's ever been put on film and uh, it's horrible. You, you don't have any idea. And that comes down to this great serendipitous power of the collaborative process. And you learn how to get back around to your question. You learn how to say no against every instinctive grain in your body when you can finally get to the place and look at it and see what the, the absolute source material is. If it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. And if you read something and you, and you deep down inside yourself think this, I don't know what this theme is and I don't, but I do know it's not worth exploring. Um, not that, you know, and look, uh, I, at some point I might've even said the most important thing any artist has to learn. This is when you can be really highfalutin. Uh, the great thing about podcasts is you can say highfalutin things and it's just, it's just a podcast. You know? it's like, <laughs> no one's, no one's going to hold it up to as like a credo. Tom Hanks said on the Josh Horowitz podcast. Um, but, you know, uh, the reason to do a movie are multitudinal, you know, uh, the money, the people that you get to work with, the place you might get to go. If you're single, you know, you might get laid. You know, there's all sorts of reasons in order to go off and, and, and do movies. They, and also because they're all a blast, you know, you never don't have a good time yeah. making a each movie. one's an adventure. Yeah, each one is a huge, huge, huge adventure. And the the other the other uh, collaborative artists that you meet uh, become indelibly imprinted upon you for the rest of time. But if you can't go into it eight thousand percent of uh, enthusiastic about getting to dig down into the granular aspect, if I'm using that word right. Um, of the story that you're telling and the theme that you're examining, you, 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 you have to say no. And it's really hard to do. But when you do, you, I think you, uh, you've crossed some sort of Rubicon. And I don't want to discount for a moment that being financially secure <clears throat> makes that more possible. I, I have the, the greatest respect in the world for anybody who um, um, doesn't take the money, even though if they really, really need it. And I can't say that I've done that. I think I've always... Uh, <laughs> particularly in the, that early run of movies when they're they're asked i never it was never about the money it was just the opportunity to make some you yeah know? and uh 
Yeah. I don't discount that. I'm curious. You, gotta, you know, particularly if you got, you know, car payments and a kid sure. or two. It's real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how aware were you, are you, when you think of mannerisms that have popped up on screen? We're all a collection of screen yeah, yeah, yeah. mannerisms. And, I, yeah. when I, when I, you know, you've got the, like, exasperated laugh that I think of when I think of Tom Hanks. I, I, I think of you, you know, I'm not going to do an imitation, certainly, but you kind of, the, the hey kind of a thing. Um, like, do you, do you, do you, are you conscious of that at a certain point? Like, I can't go to that well again, or is it Yeah, like yeah, I think you are. I mean, there's some stuff that comes out completely instinctive and it, and it kind of works. But no, as you get older, you just like, well, you can't, you can't keep drawing from that well. And you do end up uh, being, I, I find myself being attracted to the types of guys that don't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, little that require a whole different sort of, um, uh, you know, physical DNA, because I do, you know, we all have the same countenance. I think that's what the question is. Right. Every every actor has a countenance that they bring with them into the project, and it's not a mystery because everybody's everybody's seen the billing. You know, they know you're in the movie. You know, um, and then what what the 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 great. Uh, and this is why they're all torturous challenges at some point, because you just don't want to go off and do the same thing unless you're playing the same part, of course. Right. You know, and unless you're, you know, I, how many, how many, how many Woody's did I do? I lost, is it five? I think with sm- smaller four movies, but there were a couple of shorts that we right. did as well. And that's, that's fun to go back into. Uh, but you don't, you, I, I realize that there is a type, I, I, I have never heard an imitation of me per se being done, but I'm sure there's someone out there that does it, that will, that would, that would both uh, make me laugh very hard and, and fill me with dread at the same time. <laughs> Am I that readable? Really? I'm that <laughs> obvious? Do I have that geeky a voice? Yes. Turns out I do. We all do. You you mentioned uh, the, the Toy Story films and like you know Disney <laughs> somewhere somewhere a, a fairy got its wings just now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, Tinker Tinker Bell. Hey, we just brought Tinker Bell back to life. She, there she is, sliding from the Matterhorn to somewhere in Tomorrowland. But it is funny because like yes, obviously you've been a part of some franchises in the Robert Langdon series as well. But for outside of those, and those are notable exceptions, like there was never and I and I count this as a good thing. The Splash sequel, the Forrest Gump yeah, sequel, yeah. et cetera. And I, I can't, I'm sure they've gone to you, especially in this era of like reboots, retreads, re-everything. Yeah. Yeah. Is that just like not even, is there no character at this point that feels like worth going back to from the early? No, trip? I no, I can't. I mean, I think other people can go off and reinterpret it if they right. want. You know, right now there's a, there's an Indian movie out that is essentially Forrest, Gump, Forrest, Forrest yeah. Gump. I can't wait to see it. I just saw like a photograph of it somewhere. And I said, well, I'm going to have to check that out. There is a, um, I, the, the one, the, I will say this, a smart thing I did was I never signed a contract that had a contractual obligation to a, to a sequel. Right. Because I always always say, guys, look, you know, if there's a reason to do it, let's do it. But, you right. know, I'm not going to, you guys can't not force the me. before the horse. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And um, there is that uh, natural inclination, I sense, is, that is a purely, you know, one of pure commerce that says, hey, you just had a hit. So do it again and you'll have a hit. And well, I will say that with long, with a long time in between, we did take a stab at talking about another uh, another Forrest Gump, right? Uh, that lasted all of forty minutes, <laughs> and then we never <laughs> says, "Ah, guys, come on." Um, League of Their Own. We thought um, uh, to that there was a 
possible thing to bring Jimmy Dugan back after the color, after Jackie Robinson oh. had broken the color barrier. And we had a, a there was actually a, a pretty, pretty nice screenplay. Um, but the, the, these all these other kind of like market forces come into it, because one of the things that often happens is the original people who made it happen don't have anything to do with the sequels. And so they're really made by studio executives, you know, and, and some talented people, you know, like sure. that, that come in and take their shot. Um, but the, uh, the, the, they have to be the, the great thing about the, well, the Langdon movies were great because they were individual mysteries that came up. And I viewed those as Sherlock Holmes movies, right? You know, Basil Rathbone is Sherlock Holmes. It's great. Me as Robert Langdon running around, you know, Istanbul or something like that. That's a blast, man. Yeah. Uh, and after after that, it just comes down to, well, you know, how delicate are we going to make this house of cards? You know, how, you know, that that's and that is fun, particularly so much of it goes on on the day <clears throat> because you realize you got to get from here to there. And how are you going to do that? And what's the anyway? And then also the uh, the Toy Story movies. I'll tell you this great. This is a great thing. And this is both commerce and art wrapped up and actually quite. Um, perfectly suited for the entire history of Walt Disney. I mean, as of the man, a guy who understood commerce and art, he had to contractually, contractually do two more Three Little Pigs cartoons that he hated doing. The first one he loved and all the second ones were just knockoffs. And he even said at some point no, uh, in contractual, he wrote on some people piece of paper, no more pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that he was he was he was a type of artist who said, look, we did that. Let's not wow. just repeat ourselves. Let's take it to some brand of next level. So if you see the second and third Three Little Pigs cartoon, Disney hated them. Right. Even though they're loaded with blah, blah, blah. Art, you know, all the, art, you know, the, the, the filmmaking is still pretty great. But he didn't care about the story because the story had been told. Um, when we uh, the, the first. Uh, um, the first uh, Toy Story movie was such a mind-blowing revelation on, you know, on, on all levels. Um, I was first walked through the storyboards of Toy Story in an anonymous uh, industrial park in, in Glendale, in which John Lasseter walked me through the entire thing from beginning to end. And all it was was hand-drawn. And then they showed me against an anonymous blue background, the CGI version of Woody <clears throat> um, over and over again, uh, take, having taken a line from Turner and Hooch, in which I was yelling at Hooch, don't eat the car, stop eating the car. And it was a lightning bolt. It was, it was beyond kind of like comprehension. And that was in the days when um, Michael Eisner and Katzenberg took, took the Disney studios uh, from its sleepy little, you know, Greyhound bus kind of, uh, Greyhound bus station kind of like architecture and turned it into an Air Force base in the Philippines. It may be a metaphor or maybe literal. Uh, well, sure. anyway, they turned it into a, they turned it into the massive thing that, that it is now and it's been keep growing. But, you know, those are the guys who just like yeah. really came down and brought a very hard edge version of the industry to it. And God bless them, out of it came the, the first Toy Story movie. But we did an entire version of that movie that was then thrown out. You, I know, you might know that story. Yeah. Because uh, it was flip and it was, I, it wasn't really about 
anything. It was just about a bunch of guys insulting each other and, and trying to say wacky, funny things. And John Lasseter and the, the team at uh, Pixar went back and we ended up doing the whole thing all over again. So then it comes out and it is what it is. And that was still old school business practices, which said, if you had a hit, do another one and knock it out really fast. And now there was this new way of doing it where you don't even have to strike prints. You can just do it for uh, DVDs. You can right. just do it for home video. And so we started doing the second one for home video and, and Tim and I, uh, both looked at each other and Tim, Tim was a big guy at Disney then. Cause he had home improvement and all that kind of stuff and did all those Disney movies. And I'm saying, what's going on here, man, this, this is, this is a rocket and they're just going to release this on home video. And they had all these numbers that said it'll cost half as much, but it'll make just So they had all these number reasons for we do it. And at one point we, we were in a, and we were in studio C and there was, there was doc O'Connor. No, no doc, uh, just doc. Right. I can't remember Doc, uh, the guy who's legendary sound mixer back behind the the man in the glass booth back there, and we just said, Doc, turn, roll the DAT, the DAT, digital audio tape, roll the DAT, roll the DAT, and we say, hey, look, hey, this is Tom and Tim here, guys. I, we were in there just briefly. You never actually record with anybody. We said, can we just say that you guys are nuts to put this out on home video right now? You're nuts. You this this is going to make a billion dollars, guys, if you put it in the movie theaters. You're insane. Now, I don't know if they actually took that and did anything with it, but that's what they did. And they sort of rewrote that aspect of a thing. And what was perfect about it was you cannot go back. Evidently, you cannot go back and and um, examine the relationship that a kid has with their toys enough, you know, clearly <laughs> uh, because it continued along. And what's extraordinary about this is that we did that for the first time in 1995 was when I think the first one came out. Okay. So that means yeah. we started working on it in 91. <laughs> All right. If not, if not 90, because they took, they take a long time to render those things. So it's now 2020. So over the course of about 30 years, we examined, you know, all, all that stuff is. And, and every time I got to say it worked as a theme. And this is not the case with all sequels or in the long, long series there. You know, I love to do this thing, particularly it happens a lot in, uh, in Europe where you think you're going to sit down and you have a conversation about, you know, your career and, you're essentially talking to a member of the entertainment industrial complex, you know, somebody who, somebody who writes about entertainment or movies or something like that. And um, they, uh, you know, they, they always say, you know, you just, you just always, you just always are playing the nice guys. You're always playing the same guy over and over again. And I said, well, if you think that that's fine. And they said, well, why do you do that? And I said, well, I don't think I do. I, I'm trying to reject the premise of your question. I'm, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to reject the premise of the question. But then I always say, but look, you and I both know that I could be sitting here right now promoting Forrest Gump 6 and telling you that if you like Forrest Gump 4 and Forrest Gump 5, you're really going to love Forrest Gump 6. I mean, I, you, you can do that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've just been very fortunate. And every now and again, I've had some forceful and um, uh, uh, boundaries that I've been able to keep up in place. And uh, uh, the, I, I think uh, I've been, that doesn't always work. Alas, you don't always, uh, or you're not always rewarded for examining the theme of the movie by making a movie about it. But um, ain't that baseball? Yeah, I was going to say, all, I you, think you're, all you're, you can you're, do you're, is- You're Honus Wagner. Your batting average is pretty good, man. Whoa. Have you read the baseball 100? 
No, Honus haven't. Wag, Honus. Oh, you got to read the baseball 100. Is he our last 400 out. hitter? Was he our last? Uh... Uh, no. Well, I think it was somewhere down there, but he was just like one of the truly great baseball players back when only white people played, you know, major league baseball. But evidently he was just a dick on top of that. <laughs> I may have the wrong baseball legend, so forgive me. Baseball well, I, I saw the Ty Cobb movie. I think there were a lot of dicks back. Well, there. he was a notorious, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, notorious yeah. dick. <clears throat> Wait, okay, Mr. Disney himself, Tom Hanks, why are you not in a Marvel movie? They've asked you by now. They've no, cleared. I don't know. Not to my knowledge. Okay. Have they? okay. I, I, don't, I okay. do not know. I, I do have... not know. Boy, talk about coin of the realm. You know, it's like, holy cow. I mean, you don't, need it. They don't need, you don't need them. They're fine. Everyone's fine. But I'm just saying it would be a nice marriage. That's all I'm saying. Okay. All right. Let's, let's, let's unpack this a little bit, Josh, <laughs> shall we? Let's, let's unpack this. Okay. Um, is there... Is there an, an era of film in which a very particular type of movie dominated the marketplace? I mean, I you, could say, you could say Westerns 60s. in the 50s. Right. All right. The biblical now, epic in the 60s? I don't even know. Yeah, what else? Or, okay, let's, nothing... In order to get into kind of like a universe or something, let, let's take John Ford's Westerns. Right. right. You can maybe say that that is the John Ford universe of Westerns is not that different, perhaps, than, you know, the Marvel universe of motion pictures. Yep. If it's a bodacious John Ford Western, would you do it? You know? What, like, let me say, oh, let me get this straight. John, Jack, I think it went by Jack, Jack Ford. Um, what, you're going to take me back, and we're going to be in Monument Valley, and we're going to be on a horse, and we're going to do the things, and we're going to do that, and the Monument Valley will be there, and that's what we're going to do. You might do that because you might end up in, you know, in like the gunfight. Yeah. <laughs> you could, the searchers, or you could end up in she wore a yellow ribbon. There's yeah. all sorts of things you could you could end up in. Uh, I think it, but then there's, you can look at the same era of Western in the, in the 1950s and just a ton of them were, you know, not great. You know, right. I, I, you want to, you don't want to rag on any movie because movies are just too hard to make. The, I think the most thing you can say is, you know, it was quite good. Didn't quite, although it didn't, didn't quite work. Did I mean, that's about the worst thing you could say. And there's an awful lot. Of it. So, and I'm trying to think if there was any other type of movie that came out that truly dominated um, a mark you could maybe could say this like the universal monster movies of the That's 1930s fair. yep you know um you could and there go, was interaction you, between them similar to the marvel stuff so you right. could, yeah yep i not too long ago saw the i'm i'm gonna say it was son of frankenstein with basil mm -hmm. rathbone and mm -hmm. and uh 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 the boris car uh boris Karloff has a monster sure and it was the fourth in the run but there was some brand new stuff that was brought to that, you know, yeah. gotta say, gotta say there was, um, then you get into the creature with the black, you know, you, and I diminishing you know, returns at a certain point, but you right. know. I think the bigger question here might just be is, you know, what, how many screens are there going to be remaining? Um, because I think there's an awful lot of films that don't need to be, you know, shown on motion picture screens. Um, and I think what the, the ticket sales, the idea of going to the movies is definitely coming back. But is there a, and there is nobody who doesn't want to have that experience. If there is something I, I just saw. A matter of fact, uh, we just saw um, Bullet Train uh, mm. in, in a in a movie theater. And I can't I, I couldn't say the last time we bought ticket. You know, let's drive to the movie theater. Let's park by the movie theater. Let's walk up and buy a ticket into yep. the movie theater. Yep. Let's find a seat. Uh, and uh 
we were we were both even before the movie began we said isn't this great isn't this great oh my god we're back in a movie theater isn't this fabulous and then you watch the movie and it's fantastic and you have a you have a shared experience with yeah. you know 40 or 50 you know other strangers who are there at the same time so you know what what is about what's up there what are they examining on the screen and it, is it worthwhile and you know I, we've all we've all seen plenty of uh of the what is it is it called the is it officially the marvel universe of motion pictures it's the marvel cinematic universe whoa the mcu all right and it's got spider-man and the x-mans and the uh, all the you mans and all, all the, the mans, women's and the ladies and, and the women's yeah. yeah 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 the boys and, sometimes yep and mm-hmm. i look I, every i haven't seen them all I'll, I'll give you that right now but the ones i've seen i never come around away from it and, so, and start without thinking there's a couple of great performances in there man those people really gave their all and They're i don't know the how that I, know. I don't know how they do that. I do not know. Then after that, it's like, you know, did they examine the theme that I wanted him to be seen? And I think I, I can tell all I can tell you all of them are quite good, Josh. They're all quite good. I'm, I'm going to, you've been very generous with your time. I'm going to let you go on this. I have one challenge for you, Tom, because I've noticed over the years, you are quite a mimic of your own film, of the filmmakers you've worked with. <laughs> okay. Invariably- I, I spend way too much time with them. All right, so let's well, see. I'm gonna I'm gonna name a collaborator, a All filmmaker. Right. You give me a quick impression. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, we're gonna keep it moving. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Tom Hanks filmmaker imitation challenge. Ron Howard. Okay. Okay. All right. Remember. Remember. You're 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 you're, you're hurtling home. You're hurtling home. Remember. It's called Penny Marshall. My mom, how, why, where are you going? How come you can't be in the scene? Why, why did you walk out there? You have to be in the scene. I need your face to cut to. I don't know what I'm going to need later on. You've got to stay in the scene. Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I did one earlier. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what, what about that? I mean, you know, you know why it, Bob, why do you why do you have a guy in a in a motorcycle with a side? Like, I think sidecars are funny. Why not? I mean, why not have him in a sidecar? I think it's funny. A guy pulls up in a sidecar. Do you well, have a Spielberg? I don't know if uh, I've heard Spielberg. Have I heard? Oh, let Spielberg? me let me uh, let me. Uh, 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 <laughs> this, this, you know how? <clears throat> oh, uh, oh, here, here, okay. Here, here's how I'm going to do this. You know what I'm going to do this? I'm going to I'm going to have a camera. Just I'm just going to have a pogo lens on. Just going to have Janos. Janos, make sure we put put that put it put a 75 on a pogo lens. I'm going to have a pogo lens. We're going to follow you around. I'm going to follow you around. Let me let me tell you about a story about Worthy with Steel when we were doing uh, the post. Um, there's a ton of guys in it, right? And we would. I said, Stephen, let me. I've made movies with Stephen before, so. I try to get to, together with everybody on the movie, bring them in. You know, I have pizza and stuff like that. And I explained them all how Stephen, how Stephen, Stephen makes, makes movies. And I said, guys, guys and gals, we're all in there. We, we had, we had everybody in, in there. Every, everybody was in the post. We, we were all there. And uh, I said, okay, listen, uh, here's how it works. Let's make sure we all know the dialogue. You know, we'll run some today and let's make sure before the day comes, we all run the dialogue so we know it backwards and forwards. Because here's what's going to happen. Either Stephen is going to come to us and say, ah, mm, I need you guys help. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to shoot. I don't know how I'm going to shoot this. Scene. I don't know. I don't know how to shoot this. Scene. I don't know how to shoot this. Scene. And that happens. That happened on the bridge of spies in Germany 
at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, I, I, I need some help. I don't know why I'm going to shoot this. What, 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 what do you guys think you would do? Where would you say? I said, well, Stephen, hey, think, how about like this? And we try it. He's, oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. 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 And then, and then he goes into the other mode. And then he <laughs> runs off and he goes, Yannis, put a 75 on the pogo cam. He says something like that. <laughs> then the I said, and the other thing that will happen is we will be prepared. We'll know our stuff absolutely perfectly. And Stephen will have done all of our work for us. And we won't even know what's happening because the camera will be nowhere near us. And he won't care if we say the words the way they're written. Uh, he's just going to want us to be in, be in a space and interacting because the camera is literally delivering all the dialogue and all the narrative that we know. And uh, uh, that, <laughs> that, that's, why, that's why Stephen is Stephen. The man cannot help but think in cinematic terms, uh, uh, cinema, very excited, very excited about cinema. Oh, oh that's great. That's great. That's great. I, because this is thing. He, says, he does this all the time. Hey, Stephen, what if I have this down working in the foreground just with, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. It's not in the movie. <laughs> It'll never be in the movie. Do you think he thought it would be in the movie? He's just, no, he's just, no, he no, just, just no, he just, happy. he just yeah. understands. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Do it, do it, do it, yeah. do it. It's not going to be. That, that's what he does not tell you that. Right. That's a brilliant right. film. Which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone we left off before we go? Nora, uh, Clint, anything uh, in your repertoire? Well, Nora was just always, well, why in the world wouldn't we just do it exactly like that? The only thing I would remove is your beret. When you make a movie about a French little popo dog in Paris trying to find his way, then you can wear a beret, but not in this one. That's pretty much Nora. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, Sir, I can't thank you enough, both for the time today, but honestly, I mean, look, you were talking about that, that film-going experience you've recently experienced. I could, I could rattle off 35 Tom Hanks oh, you're very films kind. that, I, you're that very have, kind. have changed my life in different ways. Uh, Pinocchio is the latest collaboration with the great Bob Zemeckis. I'm trying to, I'm trying to come up with, oh, okay, I'll tell you yeah. this moment, the making of Pinocchio. Yep. You're talking with Bob Zemeckis, and the scene involves um, Geppetto almost drowning by way of Monstro in the boat. And we had, we had such a complicated rig in order to, in order to, in order to get this thing. Uh, the camera was on some massive thing and I'm front, we're shooting in a thing called not blue screen, but we're shooting in a volume, which right. you hold, you know, this is the new technology and works fine. And um, we were trying, <laughs> we were trying to, to come up says, and Bob was explaining, well, what I need you to do is to ride, to float up, rise up and, and come to the surface and choke, but then roll around and almost choke again, and then come back around and then spit water oh. out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, I'm literally, I'm, I'm shackled to some sort of like, you know, gravity rig that spins me around at the same time. And of course there is no water involved. <laughs> So, I was gonna say, side. you're thinking this is how I die on Pinocchio. Yeah, well, yeah, I would say, hey, thanks, Bob, for once again asking yourself, saying to yourself this, well, hell, anybody can do that. Because I'm not sure anybody can do this. <laughs> but give me 20 minutes and I'll try to provide you with a beat that you need for the movie. So Amazing. there it is, Geppetto and Pinocchio by way of Bob Zemeckis. There we go. And you, as you said, you're reteaming soon. Eric Roth and Robin, the whole Forrest Gump. Yeah, team, yeah. We're, we're, gonna, we're going to go off and swing wide, throw deep, you know, give it another shot. Amazing. Uh, thank you again, sir, for the time. All right. True Sarah, honor. you'll give me a memo about the things I have to retract or record and change. And Whitney, you've written down a list of all the people I've insulted somehow and have to make apology phone calls to. So I look forward to both of those over email. Start with me. All I, right. I and Josh. Apology. 
Josh, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, how often do you use, say, Uber Eats or DoorDash there in your little uh, little pretty, midtown apartment? Pretty often, pretty often. Too often. Okay, yeah. all right. Okay. Well, Thank God you. bless you. Thanks. I enjoyed talking to you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha